Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Another edition of the College Football Fix Podcast presented by USA Today Sports. This time is the Christmas special. All Christmas special. I hope uh, everyone is going to have a safe and happy holiday season. And hopefully, uh, as you listen to this podcast, you're doing something with the friends or family, eating, drinking something good, passing a little bit of time. Maybe you're cooking. I, I listen to podcasts when I cook a lot. Yeah, I can see that. I listen, I mean, during baseball season, I listen to the Orioles games a lot when I cook. It's like just background noise. And my hope is that everyone, um, as they're listening to this, they're sitting at their Christmas Eve or Christmas Day table and they're listening to this as a family. I don't think that's happening, probably. Is that happening? No? Yeah, I don't think um, they put us on the speaker system. That would be really nice. That would make me really happy if people were doing that. To know that I was playing such a huge part in their lives as a family would be the ultimate Christmas gift to me. <laughs> Do you have any any Christmas plans or are you just hanging out? Yeah, so we're going to go uh, to see my in-laws on the 24th, and then uh, we'll go see my family. Okay. That. So that's it. When do you – so for people who care, you're going to be in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> first semi, and I'm going to be in the Orange Bowl, but I know you have family out in Dallas. When are you going to yeah, make your way out there? So I'll, I'll go out there Christmas Eve and uh, – spend a little bit of extra time with the folks and you know, typically in a normal year, I just roll right from that into the media access for the college football playoff. But um, it's looking like there's not going to be any media access or at least in person. And I guess that kind of brings us into what we've got to talk about today. And I don't like talking about COVID. You don't like talking about COVID. I pray every day that this thing just, ends and we don't have to deal with it anymore but unfortunately we got we got a problem on our hands the college football playoff has a problem on its hands and we're getting news about what's happening with this covid wave this highly transmissible contagious omicron variant and like it or not it's impacting it's going to impact the rest of this college football season and we just have to face it we have to deal with it and we're gonna have to talk about it as we sit here midday on Wednesday. Here's what we know with regard to COVID. And obviously this thing is changing very, very fast. Um, Nick Saban has announced uh, that 90% of his team has had booster shots, which is good. However, uh, he has also announced that Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone have tested positive for COVID-19. And that's, a huge part of their coaching staff. Uh, Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator. Doug Maroney coaches the offensive line. Supposedly, they're going to go into isolation and be back in time to coach in the college football playoff semifinal. That is what Saban says he anticipates. However, I think that is a little bit questionable because if those two guys have tested positive, how many more are we going to 
fine from Alabama. And now we're within 10 days of the semifinals. Is this an isolated thing or is this a canary in the coal mine? We'll see. Meanwhile, uh, our friend Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated has reported that Texas A&M is unable to play in the Gator Bowl because of a COVID outbreak. They don't have enough available players. They are supposed to play Wake Forest in the Gator Bowl. They're going to try to find another team to play Wake Forest. But if that happens, that would mostly be because another team has to drop out of their bowl game somewhere else, which I'd say at this point is not that it's not that big of a long shot. I mean, it just seems like this thing is now boomerang boomeranging around college football. We've seen it impact every sport. Now that these teams are practicing for these bowl games, they're traveling. There's a lot of teams that are sending guys home for Christmas, which that adds a whole other element to it. Um, I, I have full confidence that on December 31st, we're going to play college football semifinals and on, and on January 10th, play a national championship game. But Boy, it, it sure seems like um, there could be some bumps in the road between now and then. I should also mention there's reporting out there that George has got a couple players in COVID protocol. Backup quarterback JT Daniels, wide receiver George Pickens. In short, this is looking like it's going to be a real mess. Yeah, remarkably, Dan, like we rebooted this podcast before the year. I don't think we've talked about COVID all year. Really haven't. <laughs> And it's funny, like when I knew when I was thinking about this week's episode over the weekend, because I was kind of monitoring what was happening in college basketball for a separate piece that I'm going to write on the side. I was thinking, man, college football got lucky. Yeah, because of the season, because of where things stood of a variant in terms of the variant and just the time of year. But it's they, they, college football got through this thing. like, And it's kind of remarkable that we didn't have to have any issues. But uh, pretty clear, like you said, that from this point through January 10th is going to feel a lot like last year when we were expecting the other shoe to drop every day and just wondering if we could get to the finish line. Um, just being here in New York, I know how the Omicron is spreading and, and what percentage of positivity rates we're seeing here among a very vaccinated and boosted population. So um, very, very likely that there's going to be some more disruptions the rest of the way. But like you said, I do think we get the semis and championship game done. Whether that means that it's short a couple coaches or players, at least for the semis, I mean, that's possible. Like you said, I mean, it's very, as we know from last year, typically it's not just two guys who get it. You know, it's not just O'Brien and Marone. It's, it's going to be other people just for Alabama as an example. So expect the worst, prepare for the worst. And I think that's what college football did last year. We got to get back into that mindset. Well, the thing that makes this, I think, really, really hard for everybody is I, I think most people have kind of let their guard down a little bit on COVID. I mean, it's natural, right? You go get your vaccine. I got my, my booster like a month ago and I basically live a normal life more or less. I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff. You know, I've, I've traveled, I've, I've, I, I go to the gym, like I do whatever I normally do now. You know, if I am in places where they need you to wear a mask or wear a mask or whatever, but basically people have kind of stopped living as if COVID is all around us. Mm -hmm. I just think back to the SEC championship game, which I covered in Atlanta in the press box that day, no social distancing. The seats were all jammed together like they were pre COVID. Nobody was wearing masks. I mean, I came in wearing one, but like, I kind of took it off because 
no one else was really wearing it. And like, it just wasn't, nobody really cared. I shook hands with people like that can't happen at least for the next few weeks. And as we're in the middle of this wave. And so when you have something that's that contagious and transmissible that is now here and it's, it's just sweeping through the country. And you combine that with the fact that a lot of people have kind of just gone back to behavior pre COVID then it, yeah, like a lot of people are going to get it, you know, and the good news is it's probably not going to make most people really, really sick, especially if they've been vaccinated. And most of these college football players and coaches, almost all of them have been. But I think we're also seeing that there's a little bit of a issue with the boosters. Uh, Alabama, Saban said they're 90 percent boosted. I, I, I think that gives them a better shot of being mostly intact when they play these games. But like I saw G- Georgia and Michigan, like they're trying, they're scrambling to get guys the booster shot right now. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's not going to really help you out that much with a game in nine days. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it might help you if you make the championship game, make, it may help some guys not get infected, but um, that probably should have been done a few weeks ago. I just hope that these teams are able to fill field representative teams and that they're not having guys, key guys missing, whether, you know, they have mild symptoms or no symptoms or whatever it is. That's, I don't want to get into the debate about what we should do and all that stuff. I'm just saying, I hope that these games are played in a way that allows every team the best chance to play their best game. Yeah, right. That's, that's the, I think that's the, the point. The point is not just that you are able to field a team, but field a team that, um, that you feel is capable of winning a national championship. Don't bring me your fourth string QB who's been playing scout team all year because you have nobody else. That's unfortunate. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't think any one of us know. Um, uh, we do know that uh, preparations are being made from a media perspective to, to, like you said, to create more distance. We'll do all the things virtually up until the semis, at least. I'm sure for the championship, the same. So steps are being taken, at least from a playoff perspective, to 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 meet the the moment and the circumstances. But um, if you're in the you know weedier bowl, I don't know what kind of what kind of standards they're going to set in place compared to the playoff. So regular bowl games are going to be impacted for sure. But uh, if they did it last year, right, Dan, they could do it this year. The playoff, right? I mean, they did it last year. Yeah, vaccine, nothing. I mean, they pulled it off. They did a great job, I thought, last year. So um, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to do the same and and that these teams will have a, you know, a top tier talent roster ready to go for those games on New Year's Eve and on the 10th. Well, last year, the issue was was contact tracing, right? That was the thing last year was if somebody popped a positive test, then it really threatened everybody in a position group because those guys were meeting together. They were congregated more in locker rooms and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's not been the issue this year because basically if you're vaccinated, you're not really getting contact traced, but what's happening now. And just in full disclosure, as we record this, I'm waiting to see all the protocols. The, the CFP is going to pretty soon here, release the protocols for the, for the playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know exactly like if they're changing the testing procedures or what, but basically the way it's going to work now, my understanding of it is, you know, if some guys get sick, it's basically up to local medical personnel to determine whether they need to test the whole team or not. Right. You know, and then from there, you do what you do. 
I, I don't know. I mean, from a media standpoint, they're not they're not going to allow us anywhere near the players, which frankly is probably the right move. I mean, I wish we had old school media access like we used to. We were supposed to all it was all supposed to be in person. Uh, it was going to be down, you know, three full days of, of interviews, just like it was pre COVID. Now it's all going to go virtual. And I get it. Like, I'm not complaining because I don't want to be elbow to elbow with a bunch of people with Omicron running around. And, and I don't want to be responsible potentially for infecting a player. So anyway, but that's where we are. And I think it's just going to have to be every day, just kind of white knuckling through and hoping that, that, uh, you know, that, that, Bryce Young or who, or, you know, like somebody whose absence would really change the game that that doesn't, that does that they don't get held out. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be up and down topsy turvy from today's the 22nd when we're recording. We have eight full days separating this and, and New Year's Eve. There's a lot of travel involved for these teams. Um, best of luck to everybody. Stay safe. Yeah, uh, apparently Miami is also dealing with the COVID outbreak. So maybe, you know, if they can't play, you know, maybe Wake Forest will be able to find some opponent to pair them up with. But I would say Texas A&M is probably probably the tip of the iceberg um, as far as teams that may, you know, have outbreaks that, that force them not to play. However, there's been a lot of bowl games already in the books. Have you enjoyed bowl season so far? Actually, I think there have been a lot of, like, really good games. Yeah, there have been a lot of, um, like, I was about to say well-played. I'm not going to go that far. A lot of interesting uh, tight games. I thought UAB-BYU was a whole lot of fun. Um, Western Kentucky, their shootout with App State was awesome. Um so, yeah, I mean, these are what you want from – that's what you want from these early games, right? You're not seeing elite teams. At least you're not seeing elite team versus elite team. But we're seeing high-scoring games. I thought we've seen a lot of good quarterback play. Um, so I've been really I've been really happy with it um, and really have enjoyed it. And I love the fact that um, no matter how many years that we've done this, you still are surprised when the first bowl games, like, start. You know what I mean? You're still like, wow, already? Um, last Friday. So – that's always a nice little surprise. Um, so yeah, this has been fun. Hopefully we get a lot more. I mean, what have we had so far? We've had like maybe eight. I can actually tell you. Yeah. It's, I, it, yeah, it's been one, two, three, four, five, yeah. Uh, nine, I think nine, not 10, uh, 11, 11, yeah. 11. Yeah. There's been a lot last night. So well, a couple more games tonight for those who are going to listen to it today. You got the um, uh, armed forces, army, Missouri, uh, let's see tomorrow for Thursday. I, I mean, UCF at Florida. I mean, that's obviously not at versus Florida in the Gasparilla bowl. That's amazing. So, um, yeah, a lot of good games. And I think North Texas, Miami, Ohio is going to be one of those, um, in the, uh, Frisco football classic. That's going to be one of those high scoring, um, back and forth games. So I'm looking forward to that. What's really cool to me is that the games that have been played so far, there've been a lot of one score games, you know, and sometimes you just don't know if, if these, bowl games are going to be even matchups or, or what, but I, I, they've been pretty, pretty good. And a couple things that have stood out to me anyway. Uh, and, and again, you're, you're talking about teams that maybe we don't watch a ton as the season goes along, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of back burner type type teams, but 
the Mountain West has had an unbelievable bowl season. I mean, really, really good. Um, I believe they're five and zero. Yeah, Fre- uh, Fresno Fresno dude. State beat UTEP. Utah State beat Oregon State. That's a nice uh, Power Five scalp. Wyoming beat Kent State. Uh, San Diego State beat uh, UTSA. Four and zero. I believe right. that's four and zero. Yeah, but those are four good wins, like you said. Four really good wins. UTSA and Oregon State. Yeah, good year for the Mountain West. It's been a good year overall. Um, I think when a team like Utah State wins that conference, you, you kind of feel like it takes some bloom off the rose because Utah State, why not Boise? Why not San Diego? Why not, you know, even Air Force? But to me, that speaks to the depth of the conference that Utah State was one of three teams that went six and two in the in the mountain um, and won that through tiebreakers. Obviously, San Diego State up until the Utah State game, I thought was right there to be the team that um, they might have held off Houston and gotten to the group of five New Year's Six Bowl if they had won and Houston had beaten Cincinnati. So it's a really good league, really well played league. So, um, yeah, they flexed, they flexed for sure. Um, but you know, they're also haven't seen the best of the power five yet. So I think at the dominance pac 12 sucking it up, but uh, for now mountain West has been the story. The, the Utah state thing is really interesting. They went 11 and three this year. They were not necessarily picked to be at the top of that conference, but that's a hell of a coaching job by Blake Anderson. And this is a guy who had been at Arkansas State for seven years and had done very well, you know, had had some really good seasons. I think probably, a co- I mean, there were a couple things that happened. Uh, one, just tragically, his wife had passed away a couple years ago, uh, had been battling an illness. And, um, and I, I know it was really, really difficult, I think, for him to cope with, you know, the fact that, that he was, he was in this, this small town and, you know, literally everything there was a a memory of her. And, you know, and I, I, I think there was a lot of, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to raise, you know, a family as, as, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, a widowed uh, father and, you know, it's just a tough, tough situation. And he needed a change of scenery. Uh, his last year at Arkansas State, you know, last season was 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 not a great year. They, it was first losing season in a long time there, and just a really savvy move by Utah State to um, to to pick him off and present him this opportunity, and they've taken full advantage of it. So shout out to uh, to Blake Anderson for making that move and you know kind of hitting the reset button and and finding a, a place where he's he's really been able to thrive. That's not an easy job or an easy school uh, because it's, you know, it's a couple hours outside of Salt Lake city. It's, it's not near a whole lot of stuff and it's a beautiful part of the country, but it's a little bit remote. Yeah. Logan, Utah. Um, I will say kudos to the beehive state overall, right? Yeah. Utah state mountain West. You got Utah winning the pac 12 on the rose. You got BYU double digit wins. Um, I think this has been the best year for Utah football, Utah state, state of Utah football um, in the history of the state since it became part of the union. I'm just going to say that I don't, I haven't researched that. I guarantee you that's true. Guarantee it. This has been the year 2021 will be the year for Utah. Um, They should have a state proclamation um, crediting these teams. Yeah. I, I great year for the state of Utah, although BYU lost that bowl game to UAB. That was a really entertaining game. 
at the Independence Bowl where the weather is never good. I've never watched an Independence Bowl with under sunny skies. Like it was it was raining and cloudy and cold. I don't know what it is. It, you can put it on whatever day of the calendar you want, and it's been on a ton of different days. The Independence Bowl always looks miserable. That's funny. I like how this game for UAB had like four touchdown drives of eight minutes. Like every drive they had um, was like 15 plays. I mean, the last one I know was 15 plays, the game-winning touchdown drive. So I appreciate that. I like fast games. I like games like this that go down to the wire in the fourth quarter. I got to be honest. I thought BYU was going to win this game with some room to spare. I thought this was like a 10 to 14 point win. I don't know what the spread was in advance, but I really was feeling confident about the Cougars. Um, to me, um, and I think you tweeted this. I don't just, I just don't give UAB any credit. Like I always, I never picked them to win the division. Yeah. So they always seem to do it. I always pick them to go like eight and four. Uh, Bill Clark never gets sniff. Um, be on a cursory sniff for these jobs. Um, just credit to be to UAB for what they've become, and 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 bad job by me just not to recognize that this is a consistently, really consistently one of the best programs in the group of five, at least for the last five years. No, since they resurrected this thing, it's been unbelievably strong and consistent. Um, he's done an unbelievable job. I mean, first of all, just getting that thing back up and running. You know, and then now seeing what it's turned into with the new stadium and their new facility, the practice facility on campus, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. They've invested in it. They've got a fan base. It's it's one of the great stories in my time of covering college football that they literally, the school literally pulled the plug on that program. It was a dead end, no hope situation, absolutely neglected. They said, we're going to kill it. And then the fans demanded that it be brought back. The school demanded that it be brought back, and they did it right, and Bill Clark has been the reason. Now, it's interesting because he's got a little bit of a reputation of being hard to work with, and that's why I think – now, I'll preface this by saying I like Bill Clark. Like, when I've – my dealings with him have been awesome. Like, I think he's, he's always had time. He's always been forthright. I like the guy mm-hmm. in terms of my personal interactions with him. The reputation has been that he's he's a little bit demanding and hard to work with, and that maybe that's why people have not, you know, despite the success and despite his his great record there, have not absolutely just thrown you know millions of dollars at him to come coach their team. I think he was in the mix last year at Auburn when Harson got the job, and frankly, Bill Clark probably would have been a better hire than Brian Harson, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think you can keep winning at UAB forever. And it's like people just keep ignoring you. At some point, one of these big schools is going to say, the guy's just too good. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you've got to realize that, that this guy's winning games at a ridiculous clip, just to, to run it down. Um, 2014 at UAB, um, he did not take over a good program. They went six and six. They shut things down for two years since 2017, eight and five, 11 and three conference champs. 2019, 9-5, then won the West. Uh, 2020, 6-3, conference champs. And then 21, 9-4, finished second in the West. So it has never finished worse than second in the conference in the division. The two conference championships played for three conference titles. So, yeah, it's a remarkable run. I mean, and this guy, Bill Clark, uh, you know him a lot better than I do. I think he and I have only talked on the phone one time. But um, when you look at uh, 
when you look at coaches and you just want to evaluate based, like just evaluate experience and evaluate um, the ability to run this ship on a day-to-day 24 seven basis, he's been a successful winning coach at every stop of his entire career. I mean, high school on forward. And I think um, that tells you something. It can't just be luck at this point. So um, this has been to UAB's game, obviously that programs are a little bit wary of him. So like to see how much longer he lasts, but if, if you're an SEC program and you're in the bottom three or four in the conference, at some point you got to be like, whatever, this guy knows what it takes to win. So let's go for it. Hey, just to run back real quick to this Texas A&M thing, I'm seeing a tweet right now from Billy Lucci, who is the, uh, the grand poobah of Texas A&M media at texags.com. He says, per Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M athletic director, A&M is currently down to just 38 scholarship position players, and the Ags have just 13 scholarship players available on defense. That includes COVID, opt-outs, transfers, and season-ending injuries. So that's that's the situation at A&M, 38 players. <laughs> wow, 38. Like, that's not even a high school team. Um, related to that, Dan, to, to run it back from Dennis Dobb over at CBS, he's saying semifinalists for the CFP are being given the option of arriving on the 29th instead of the 26th. Yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that you had heard that this afternoon as well. But that's that's an obvious. Why would you? Why in the world would you get there on the 26th? Get there on the 29th, have one full complete day to rest, relax, prep, and then get to the game on the 31st. Fly out that night. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, that part of it, frankly, probably is is something that the coaches would would want anyway. Uh, I can tell you from now many years of this playoff. The fact that they have to be there for five days before the game, nobody likes that. This is not because, again, back in the old days when it was you go to a bowl, you, you, you know, you go, um, you know, like the Rose Bowl, for instance, they have this whole thing. You know, they take you to Disneyland and the Lowry's Beef Bowl and, you know, bowling and all these things that they, they do all the, uh, you know, at, at, uh, at the Peach Bowl, they take you to. Andretti go-kart racing and you know, all this, these stupid corny things that have just been part of the tradition of these bowl games and the players enjoy them, I guess, but the coaches hate it, especially for the playoff. They don't want anything to do with that. They want to be in there watching film, you know, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a business trip. They want this. They want to get in and out. It's like the NFL playoffs, they, the NFL playoffs. They don't make the Pittsburgh Steelers go to go to Denver for five days and you know go to Elitch Gardens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like totally. It used to be that like in the early days of the playoff, even like before COVID, but not quite as much the last one or two years before COVID, um, when you know money was really no object. I would like, and you as well, you would have Christmas morning. I would like shovel down a waffle and a pancake, say goodbye to my my wife and my family. And then just like go to the airport. You're like, gotta go, gotta go. See you later. Bye bye, bye bye. And you're like, you're on a flight. You get to your site on Christmas Day night. You eat sad room service, and then you're like there from the 26th till the first. It's a very long up, trip. Racking up Marriott points, churning through your per diem to buy po boys and trash like that. Um, for this game, I'm getting into Miami at 2:04 on New Year's Eve, and I'm going directly to the media hotel getting directly on a shuttle and that's it. That's it. Well, in some ways that's all you really need. Like, like yeah. I don't listen. I mean, I like the, all the media access and stuff, but I don't know that I need three days of it. You know what I mean? Like I could get yeah. all the stuff I need in one day. 
I just miss like going to the Rose Bowl and being in Orange County, doing some Orange County Marriott. Um, and just like drinking eight to 10 Coke Zero, Diet Dr. Peppers a day, like eating 15 to 20 Snickers, fun size bars, having two bags of salt and vinegar chips, drinking oodles of coffee, just going down to the media swag room, having a free beer, just just getting the entire usage out of this opportunity. I got to be honest, I missed that. Well, I, I, I will say the Rose Bowl. Now, the, the media hotel is actually downtown L.A. That's what they did after the playoffs started. But the first, the last year, uh, the last year of the BCS, Florida State. Yeah, it was down in, um, it was down in Newport Beach, right? Right, Newport Beach. So, yeah. And the media room, the media room's always always good for the Rose Bowl. They they do a good job. They do a good job. The Rose Bowl blows my mind. The Rose Bowl blew my mind, rather. Um, Just on the, just on the alcohol cost. Out-of-pocket alcohol cost for the Rose Bowl for the bunch of degenerate fatsos who cover this sport, incredible. We're talking thousands of thousands and thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars of alcohol costs for these sickos. So I've always been impressed by that. Now, I mean, I'll probably have a Hudson News coffee on the morning before my flight, and then it's just uh, the pregame spread, and then that's it. We're keeping it keeping it tight. I'm on a budget. The nice thing about covering uh, the Peach Bowl, by the way, is basically it's unlimited Chick-fil-A. Right. Well, they just have it laying around like nuggets and sandwiches. They're all just laying around like hundreds of them. I feel like that's that theory of unlimited has been put to the test in the past. And I've been at a game where the Chick-fil-A has actually run out. What I like about the Peach Bowl is the uh, is a soft serve machine. You don't see a soft serve machine in very many places, period, anymore. And you just have an unlimited soft serve is it's like a dream come true for me. Um, yeah, I, so do, you, one of my do, favorites. do you remember when Duke and Texas A&M played in the in the Peach Bowl, the, the game yeah. Duke Duke? was up huge and then Johnny Manziel brought AM back and, and they won it. This was you know before the playoffs. So this was this was just a regular bowl game. Yeah. And I remember I remember covering it and they actually did run out of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And I I think like me and maybe Bruce Feldman made a joke about it on Twitter. And like we were totally kidding. Like we did not I I don't think either of us cared at all about running out of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. But I think we both like maybe sent a tweet about it. And I swear to God, like the people who work for the poll came, they went like running maybe from concession stand to concession stand throughout the building to like right. go get more sandwiches. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. They try, look, we make fun of the bowls. They tried very hard to provide hospitality to everyone, players, coaches, media. And, and most of the time they do a really good job. But for the most part, it's all fluff. Like, you, you don't really need all that. In their defense, it's really hard to tell when Bruce Feldman is joking and when he's being serious. So um, he's about his, his sense of humor, I would call pretty dry. If I remember correctly, I haven't seen Bruce in probably five years. But it was hard. To, it was, I think they might have been like, we don't know if he's joking or not. And the two of these fellows combined have, have 550,000 Twitter followers. So we should probably get on the Chick-fil-A search. Um, I do remember that game very well. For people who don't remember, if you see a, a GIF online of, uh, of Johnny Manziel looking around going, what the hell is going on here? That's from him on the bench in that game. I think Duke, you're right, was up like 28 nothing or something like that, 20, 21-0. And then Texas A&M won 41-38 or 41-37. Nice trip down memory lane. I remember that game very well. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was fun. Uh, that was that was back when Duke was was actually good. That was the that was about the heyday. Mike Elko at Duke, by the way. A lot of hires have happened um, since we last spoke. Mike Elko at Duke. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it makes sense. Mike Elko was at Wake Forest uh, before he went to A and M, so he knows knows the territory. He, I think, understands very well the challenges and limitations at Duke, as well as the potential. He knows what it's like to be at an academic school. Obviously, did a great job as a defensive coordinator. Um, I would think I would have thought that maybe he could have gotten a job that's maybe set up for a little bit more success than than Duke, but maybe he wants to be at an academic school like that. No, it makes sense. I think he knows the territory. I mean, from Duke's perspective, your defense is so bad and has been so bad that you're going to see noticeable improvement from the start. Um, but when I hear defensive coordinator hired at Duke or power five coordinator hired at Duke, I think Ted Roof and Carl Franks and, and, and I think that concerns me. I would have liked if I was Duke to hire a guy with experience. He has extensive experience under some guys who know exactly what they're doing. I mean, you work under Clawson, uh, Jimbo, um, and I'm probably blanking on whatever a third school. At, and, and he was at Notre Dame. So those are three places where you have an idea of what it takes to run a program. So he's not like starting new. I just, I don't know. I think one of the things that Cutcliffe brought to the table there was just confidence in that he had a, a blueprint for how to make this work and give me time. We'll see it through when it worked out. So um, that's my only negative with that hire, but yeah, I think he's a guy who's been, who's ready for this position, ready for this job. Have there been any other hires since we did the last podcast? I thought, we, I thought that was it. Um, let's think. Um, I'm going through what I wrote today about these hires. Uh, Maybe Jeff Tedford back at Fresno. I don't yeah. know if we hit that or not. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Jerry Kill at New Mexico State might have happened. I think that's a, like for New Mexico State, just from a coaching perspective. I mean, that's just an unbelievable hire because he's won everywhere for 30 years. But obviously, there are health concerns with Jerry. So I don't know what to make of that hire other than it's going to be very interesting to watch him um, take on that position. We're in a part of the year right now where a lot of players are making announcements about their futures. Some are transferring, some are going to the NFL, some are staying. A lot of people doing a lot of different things right now, basically letting us know, and they do it on social media. There was an announcement today that was a little bit different than the other ones I've seen out there in college football. It came from Grayson McCall, the quarterback at Coastal Carolina, very, very talented quarterback. And obviously, Coastal's had this nice run the last couple of years. It's a long post uh, from, from Grayson McCall that he put on Twitter. But I'll, I'll just read you the germane part. With much speculation going on all across the country, I felt you guys should be the first to hear the truth from me. I am coming back to play another year of college football, and it will be in Conway, South Carolina. When I say I piss teal, I mean it. One last ride, baby. Let's do it. Shots forever. When I say I piss teal, I mean it. That's, that to me is um, that's like an NIL advertising move. Because if you don't have Grayson McCall, as Grayson McCall have a shirt that said I piss teal with your face on it or you in uniform with your little signature there, you're doing it wrong. So um, very smart. Kenny Pickett did the uh, 
like I'm going to go have a beer and, and relax thing. And that was turned into a t-shirt. Whether we got money on that, I don't know. But they should be printing those out as we speak. From a football perspective, Grayson McCall was a guy that I'm sure if he had entered the transfer portal would not have been able to pick his final destination, but would have had the interest of, of countless power five schools. Um, but it is cool to see him stay in Conway. And the truth is, why would you leave? You, If you had had the eligible number of attempts, you would have set an NCAA record for efficiency this year. You led the nation in yards per attempt. You're up there in completion percentage, if not number one. So um, why would you leave? What do you have to gain? You know, I think him staying in Conway and staying at Coastal is a good move. And and obviously Coastal with him there and with their coaching staff back, they're going to be a favorite to win the Sun Belt and compete for a New Year's Six next year. You mentioned Kenny Pickett just a second ago. A couple little items related to him and to Pitt. Uh, first of all, Pitt just got a commitment from Keaton Slovis, the former USC quarterback. Pickett is moving on to the NFL. He obviously has big shoes to fill after throwing for 4,300 yards this year and 42 touchdowns. It will be interesting to see Slovis in that offense and kind of get a fresh start after a, a little bit of an up and down and, and maybe even disappointing end to his career at USC. Uh, meanwhile, Pitt and Michigan State in the Peach Bowl, Kenny Pickett is not going to play, and neither is Kenneth Walker the third. So the two big individual stars – for Pitt and Michigan State opting out. And just more evidence that we need to expand this playoff. I mean, I get it. Like, I'm not criticizing anyone for opting out of these bowl games. But, like, if even the Peach Bowl, which is a great accomplishment for Pitt and for Michigan State to get there, and basically their star players are just chucking the deuces, then I think you have to sort of reevaluate this whole thing because – if one of the six big bowl games is not big enough for these guys to play in, come on. Yeah. I think uh, my question uh, after hearing both of those guys were out and, and seeing the disappointment, at least from fan base that, you know, you know, you didn't get a chance to say, watch, you know, oh my, I didn't realize this is the last time I was going to watch Pickett or Walker. Um, just for a normal person, like what percentage of, of normal viewers were tuning in just to see Kenny Pickett? I actually think it's a pretty high amount. I mean, you probably would have had interested parties across the nation because I'm a Lions fan, I'm a Washington fan, or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. See Kenny Pickett. Absolutely. So you're right. I, I the cure is to fold these games into a 12 team playoff, and we'll get there. But um, I, I thought, I mean, when this first started, the opting out of bowl games, what four or five years ago. I think we said to each other and to ourselves, well, yeah, it'll happen with the Poolland Bowl, but it's not going to happen to the New Year's Six. And now you're seeing it in the New Year's Six. Um, obviously, the next step would be a guy doesn't play in the national championship because he wants to be a first rounder. I don't think that's ever, ever going to happen. Um, but it is disappointing. I'll still watch the game. And I think those fan bases and a lot of people who love the sport will watch that game because it's a good game. I think it's a good game, even without Whipple, a coordinator for Pitt, and even without Walker running back from Michigan State. It's a good game. So I'm looking forward to that. I will say about Slovis, he's making a terrible decision. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Not by going and playing for Pitt at all, or even living in Pittsburgh. Um, I think that's a great destination for him. Um, he has all the talent in the world. He's making a big mistake because his girlfriend goes to Pitt. And I think that if I had any children or I had a son who was college age or even a daughter who was college age, I would tell that person, do not go to school um, 
where your significant other goes to school. And, and honestly, if you're the quarterback at Pitt or at USC, don't really have a significant other. Don't, don't do that to yourself. Enjoy yourself. Um, live your life. So well, you're going to Pitt. All of a sudden, he's like used to being at USC and like, hey, after I practice today, me and the boys are going to get on the PS5 and call of duty until 4 a.m. Uh-uh, not anymore, Keaton. Like you're going to bed. She wants to watch Real Housewives of Orange County and go to bed at, at 10.05. She's got a 7 a.m. biology class. you got to go to sleep, pal. So, you know, is, he's got to get that, used to that. Is that why he went there? I have to think that's why he went there. I, have I didn't, no I didn't know that. I didn't know I that. I have no idea. I'm, I'm not going to assume anything. But I, it is public knowledge that his girlfriend goes to bed. I think, like, she has some – I think she plays a sport there, so it's not, like, a secret. I hope that it wasn't a secret and I'm, and I'm blowing up the spot right now. But if I was going to talk to Keaton in a very serious way, one-on-one in a, in a small space with maybe have a beer with him and just talk to him, I would say, if, if, if you love her, let her go. And if she comes back to you, it was meant to be. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that how it goes? Um, so that's why I would have told Keaton Slows. I would hate to see him like have a, have a bad game because him and his girlfriend got in a fight. This, that definitely that conversation definitely took a bit of a personal turn that I wasn't expecting, but uh, I'll take your word saying, for it. Just saying, so, like I would, if I was the quarterback at USC or at Pitt, I want to um, just devote myself to football and then and then just see what what my Saturday nights look like after I am finished playing football. I would not want to feel like I have to. I, I have other things on my plate. All right, la- last topic of the day before we wrap up for Christmas here. What do you think of the trend of bowl games doing the Gatorade bath with things other than Gatorade? I believe this started, I may be wrong, but I believe this started with the Cheez-It Bowl. I believe they were the first ones, and instead of Gatorade, they just filled a big tub with Cheez-Its that allowed the players to pour over the head of their coach. We're now seeing it. Uh, on, we saw it on Tuesday at the uh, famous Idaho Potato Bowl with French fries being dumped on Wyoming coach Craig Bowl. And we're going to see it on the 30th at the Duke's Mayo Bowl with a tub of mayonnaise that will be dumped on the head of either Mac Brown or Shane Duke. Uh, Please, Mac. I will say. Please. I hope it's Mac. Okay, go ahead, sir. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, I, I don't know that I want to necessarily articulate the list of things I would rather do than have a bucket of mayonnaise dumped on me or, or the lengths I would go to avoid having a bucket of mayonnaise dumped on me. I cannot stand mayonnaise. I think it's vile, disgusting. I don't want it anywhere near me. But I will say, like, I... I'm starting to have a backlash to this trend. Just go back to Gatorade, man. I don't want to see. I don't want to see somebody French fries and cheese that's all over them. I don't. I don't want to see that. It's just gross. Like imagine if you're Craig Bowl. Like you're you've done this game. You've got this win. You had a rough year, but you finished seven and six. You do your press conference availability. Then you go back to your coach's changing room, and you've got like French fries in your pocket. This old soggy French fries down your shirt in your pants. Um, uh, the salt no. is all in your hair, and it's gross. Like in your, like on your lips, you're like, what? What is this? So no, and the mayo thing. That's enough to make me want to lose that game. <laughs> like I'd rather. <laughs> I would win. take it. I would right. take it. Even though Mac Brown probably is going to get eighteen thousand three hundred twenty-six bucks for winning the Gator Bowl. I mean, winning the um, the Deuce Mayo Bowl. 
um, I'd rather lose. I'd give up that money um, to not get have mayo dumped on my dumped on my head. It's disgusting. It's the most disgusting thing I could think of. I mean, I think Gatorade is is a health risk. I think there's a lot of situations with coaches of a certain age uh, where getting drenched in Gatorade for, is a legitimate health risk for pneumonia, for a very bad cold, for a fever of some kind, compromising your immune system. So we could just go back to doing nothing. Um, you know what I miss? This was a staple. And when this happened as a as a kid watching this on TV, you knew it was important. What happened just putting a dude on your shoulders? Like, hey, we just won the Weed Eater Bowl. Let's pick up Joe Tiller and put him on our shoulders and carry, carry him around. Him. Yeah. What happened to that? That used to be a thing. I remember, um, damn. It wasn't like, isn't there a famous photo of like Jimmy Johnson or something? Yes. Like, and he's got it. He's doing basically the Nixon, yeah. like two fingers, two peace signs. Yeah. That's, I think that's really famous. I miss that. Throw out your Gatorade. Don't put any mayo or, pee, or, or, or fries on me. Pick up your coach and carry him off the field if you care. Um, that's just me. All right. Well, I think that's where we'll wrap it for today. Next week, we'll uh, actually talk football. I actually don't want to talk football now because who knows who's going to be playing in these games? Like, that's a problem. So by next week, hopefully we'll have a clearer picture of, of what uh, what these games look like. And I'll be on site in Dallas to the extent that I can. Cincinnati, Alabama. Georgia, Michigan on New Year's Eve. Hope everybody has a great Christmas, safe, healthy, happy, fulfilling time with their loved ones. Please listen and subscribe and hit that like button. Uh, leave some positive feedback. It certainly helps boost our ratings and exposes a lot of other folks to this podcast. We want to get them listening and hopefully regularly. So, uh, whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe and subscribe to USA Today Sports, USA Today Sports Plus to make sure that you can read everything that myself and Paul will write about the college football playoff coming up next week. And check out USA Today Sports Plus betting insider Lance Pugmire's latest piece on how to bet the bowl games on the USA Today Sports Plus app. All right. Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon. The College Football Fix Podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports.